recording. Like a gun. Yeah, it's like a gun. That's <laughs> stupid. That is the industry lingo. That is how you record something. You arm it to be recorded. It's what? a tool. It's an instrument. It's a weapon of creativity. Yeah. Oh, that's stupid. You're okay. Stupid. <laughs> okay. Uh Welcome to Drunk Duck Cinema Club. I'm your host, Allie Darling. And I'm your other host, Michael Buglisi. And we're here doing our <laughs> bi-weekly podcast. Yeah. This uh, week's movie is... This week's movie is Mandy. A crazy Nicolas Cage movie, a and he's the sanest person It's a it. crazy Nicolas Cage <laughs> movie. Oh, boy. And... He's the sanest one in it. Mm. Yeah. Well done. So, Mandy is a 2018 psychedelic horror movie directed by Panos Cosmatos, starring Nicolas Cage, Andrea Riseborough, and Linus Roach. So the film is the second movie written, directed by Cosmatos, following Beyond the Black Rainbow, released in 2010. Cosmatos' two feature films have a unique style characterized by psychedelic imagery, synth soundtracks, and oddball characters delivering slow, strange dialogue. All of these elements combine to create an unsettling and foreboding mood. Okay, so when I was reading about this, I read somebody else talking about it, and they said that all of Panos Cosmatos' films, which to be honest is only like two, um, but he said they're never meant to make sense or give off the appearance of having a lot of plot on the first viewing. Okay. <laughs> it says several viewings are required for the plot to start to emerge and piece itself together. So on the first viewing, the films are meant to be engulfing, overwhelming, nostalgic mood pieces that look and feel as if you're watching them like while you're tripping out on the most potent nightmare mushroom you've ever grown. When you get to the point, you get so high that you can't actually concentrate on the plot and the big picture. So he goes on to say that the style is meant to resemble like a faded childhood memory. Like you're supposed to remember back when you watched a horror movie as a kid and that weird like imagery that's stuck in your head. You don't actually remember the plot or what happened. You just have these like huge overwhelming imagery and that like sense of like terror in your mind. And then that's what he said. You're supposed to watch it. So you're supposed to watch it. And that's the first viewing. And then as you watch more and more, you start to pick up on these little pieces of plot, which definitely seems like the more you watch Mandy, the more you see those little things. And then beyond the black rainbow, it's like even more of that. Yeah. Weird little pinpoints coming up. Once you start to deconstruct it, you can kind of see uh, maybe why he's chosen to do a lot of the things that he's done in his two movies so far. But Long before making Beyond the Black Rainbow his feature debut, Cosmatos, in his own words, laid low, making experimental short films that he largely kept to himself. Eventually, financed by DVD sales of a movie directed by his father, filmmaker George B. Cosmatos, the younger Cosmatos filmed Cosmatos. I can't pronounce this guy's fucking name. Cosmatos. Is it Cosmatos? I don't know what it is. That sounds like it should be Cosmatos. Okay. The younger Cosmatos filmed and released his debut, Beyond the Black Rainbow. He compared that film to an experimental electronic album and expressed a desire for his next film to be more like a Black Sabbath album. Okay, so... 
when I was reading the more stuff about this, there was somebody who commented on that and said that they thought the first half of the movie was prog rock and the second half was heavy metal. Yes, 100%. And then somebody responded to that and said, it explains why I felt the first half went on far too long, meandered about and was boring as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Also, that's like a three out of five prog rock album if it does that. Yeah, it just meanders. It's boring. It's like sick. Uh, the other thing that I read that was interesting was about how Panos Cosmos, he quoted himself saying that he, he said, I'm too neurotic to ever feel good. If I ever felt good, I think something horrible would happen. <laughs> oh my think, God. Yeah. Goes along with how he's making these fucking movies and like keeping to himself being a general shut in. So anyway, I mean, that explains why it took seven years uh, to make in between this one? movies. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's bring it then to today's movie. Cosmatosis Mandy, which kicks off with the following quote. When I die, bury me deep. Lay two speakers at my feet. Wrap some headphones around my head and rock and roll me when I'm dead. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's pretty badass. I mean, it's it's just... It's a little cringy, but it's pretty badass. It is, but that's like it's, rock and roll heavy metal, right? It's over the top for sure, yeah. Yeah, it sets the mood. Yeah. It lets you know that what you're about to see is meant to be, like, fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, the film depicts Mandy Bloom and her partner, Red Miller, living a peaceful, secluded life somewhere near California's Shadow Mountains in 1983. Red, played by Nicolas Cage, works as a lumberjack, while Mandy, played by Andrea Riseborough, spends her time working in a local convenience store, drawing and reading paperback novels. Out for a walk one day, Mandy is spotted by Jeremiah Sand, a failed musician and now leader of a traveling cult, the Children of the New Dawn. Now, I don't want to say too much more about the plot because I really do think this is the kind of movie where it's best to go in blind, knowing as little as possible. Uh, Talk a little bit about the impact and the reception of the movie. So what's interesting about this movie is that kind of depending on where you look, it has either either a really high rating or really low rating. So it has a 6.6 on Metacritic and directly in the face of that, it has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. So a lot of very strong love hate going on with this movie, like we talked about with the casual moviegoers. So it was extremely well received Uh, based on its expectations, but there was a lot of people that didn't like it anyways, right? And it's hard to say whether that was sort of a result of the fact that it wasn't made as a people pleaser, because even the producers themselves were surprised that it got the reception that it did. I love that, that it was... uh received well based on expectations yeah like, like people it wasn't... saw his first movie and were like oh okay so this is gonna be fucked up so the other thing that i found out when i was reading about this so i was uh what like i was looking through some of the images some of the launches so the film was premiered at a sundance film festival which i thought was like a little more highbrow yeah. than it should be for a movie like this okay um but then it was a cinematic release and it was also released on vod which is like streaming so like, like right away didn't... Yeah, like you didn't even have to go to the movie theater to watch it, but people still did. That was what was crazy about it to like the people who made it because they were like, you don't even have to like go to a movie theater. Like you don't have to pay that price to see this movie. It was just super interesting. So apparently the the movie was received like extremely well based on what they were expecting for it. And it's the biggest hit that this like production company has ever had. So is this by like the industry, by like, like um, 
like movie reviewers and other producers and actors like who who is who's giving these the this movie the high ratings exactly so basically the way that like from what i understand the way that rotten tomatoes like calculates its rating is not based on like pure it's not based on like like fan reviews it's based on like critic reviews that it amalgamates okay. over so it's essentially performing very well based on like the majority of reviews right because they so you it's based on the percentage of positive reviews, exactly right? that's, yeah. that's rotten tomatoes versus metacritic which is i think it's pretty static like i think it's more like they get like 10 reviews and they just like give a number based on those kind of thing like i don't know if they amalgamate i'm not exactly sure how they calculate it but i do know that they were the company itself was not expecting to like make money on this movie and okay. they did <laughs> Like they were expecting it to be released and just sort of ignored. So we are here with our uh, Mandy inspired cocktail. So we don't have a name. Okay. We don't have a name for this yet, but I was thinking of calling it a red 44. Yep. Yeah. Right. That's good. Right. Definitely. All right. So for this drink, we have two shots of vodka, half a shot of Campari, half a shot of cranberry juice. Stick all that in a shaker. You shake that up. Pour it over ice in a highball glass and top it off with some blood orange soda. And some raspberries. And some raspberry garnish. So. It's pretty tasty. It is. I mean, it basically tastes like grapefruit juice, right? Uh, yeah. With vodka in it, but it's tasty. Yeah, it does. It does still have a bit of a kick. I think mostly what we're tasting that is the Campari, which. Oh, really? Yeah. Campari. It's not your friend. It's not your friend. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's an acquired taste. Like if yeah, you're, I've if, heard that actually. Like if you like Negronis, like or other kind of gin drinks that go yeah. with Campari, then this is will it be... like super bitter on its own. Yes. Okay, so it's kind of like a bitter then, or is it a bitter? Uh, I think it's closer to like a wine, but oh, yeah, okay. I guess like a bitter it's wine, like a brandy. Yeah, maybe. Except I think brandies are supposed to be sweet and are supposed to like go down easy. But you can't drink a lot of brandy. I don't think. Yeah, you shouldn't drink a lot of. Beer, I don't right? actually. I don't know anything about anything, so who knows? <laughs> no, neither do I. So n- neither of us are proper mixologists. We're just kind of uh, like I mean, I googled seasoned drinkers. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, this is our first collaboration in making a cocktail. I think it turned out pretty good. It's pretty tasty. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. So we'll, we'll put the recipe up on uh, social media along with uh, the rest uh, of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The rest <laughs> of that thing. There was some interesting sort of fan theories. Okay. So the one thing that I thought was like super interesting when I was reading about it is the tiger. So this was something that I didn't pick up when I was watching it. So there's a fan theory. So when Nicolas Cage, he defeats the biker gang and he takes a bunch of their drugs so that he can go and find the (laughs) chemist. So by the way, the chemist is also the same actor that plays the Night King, which is like a weird cameo interesting <laughs> so i guess at some point when he made this movie he lost like 80 pounds or he gained like 80 pounds for the fucking game of thrones show because he is like frail yes he's real thin yeah and but it's the same guy so it's super interesting because like he doesn't have like a huge uh repertoire at least like not that i'm aware of and he's in the doom movie yes he's in the doom movies yeah but he's like he's also like a super well-trained like swordsman and like really? has all these like weird extra like fancy talents and shit. But like in this movie, he just stands in one spot and does nothing. But anyways, he's super creepy. <laughs> so when Nick Cage finds the chemist, the chemist has a tiger. Yeah. So there's a concept. So basically when they meet each other, the chemist says something along the lines of, 
you're right. Oh, you're right. And he lets the tiger go. I'd just like to point out that during that entire interaction, Nick Cage does not speak a single he word. He doesn't say anything. That's <laughs> true. He just looks at him and he's like covered in blood at this point. And so basically the chemist lets the tiger go and the tiger's name is Lizzie. So he's like, bye Lizzie. And the idea is that there's this theory that Nick is Nick Cage is the tiger, that Red is the tiger. Okay. And so before Mandy dies, he's wearing that tiger shirt. Yes. Right? So the idea is that she's the one that's, he's the beast and she's the one holding the beast at bay. So then when he finds the chemist, the chemist looks at him and he's like, oh, the beast is loose. And he's like, I have to release the tiger because the beast is loose. And that's the theory is that he is the beast and that's why he lets the tiger go. Okay. And it's interesting because it's like, there's another theory that overlaps that where it's like, all of that is like a weird fever dream. Like none of that is real because the chemist, when he first meets him says like, Oh, you can see it. And then it pans to these like weird millipedes on the floor and like all this like weird, like trippy stuff. So there's a concept that, or there's a theory that that's not even like a real thing that happens at all. Because like one of the bigger questions, like even when we were watching it with a friend of ours, their biggest question was like, how did he find this place? Like he just gets like a fever dream of it and goes there. Right. Like that's very like, unrealistic even by the movie standards yeah to find that place things change as soon as uh red takes the the bad acid that the bikers have um i I think he does become like an unreliable narrator you see you see the world through his unreliable eyes and the other thing that's interesting too is apparently if you look at the drawings that mandy's doing earlier in the movie she's drawing like a woman with a like a scary beast like with a tiger or like a similar monster and that's what she's drawing and it's like keeping that like beast at bay mm-hmm. and then the whole idea that the scythe or the giant fucking battle axe that he makes is called the beast he's like he's forging the beast yes and the children of the dawn like forge their like demise and he goes and like fucking kills them all basically i, I think i read something interesting about uh panos and and the the design of the beast you mentioned mm-hmm. it's from the celtic frost uh logo but also uh panos it, it was something like he wanted the the axe the beast to be a manifestation of red's psychosis okay that makes sense yeah cool so anyways, it was super interesting. And then the other theory that I saw that was interesting was that they're talking about how, you know, he's this destroyer and it references back to him saying that he wants to be like Galactus, who's oh, like yeah. the destroyer of worlds, right? And it's this super like inane conversation that he and Mandy have at the beginning. Yeah. It just seems like It's hello. setting the stage for nothing, right? Yeah. Like, but they talk about it a little bit and they're like, you know, he in the movie, like after that conversation, he kills everybody he comes in contact with pretty much. Like he just destroys everything for the most part, like except for like the one friend of his and then like the girl in the cult who's painted as like the innocent Mm -hmm. basically. Right. But like, otherwise he's just like a murder machine. Yes. And it's interesting. So it's like this like tiny little like tie in that he's, he's not the antagonist of the movie, but he's like the threat. Yes. He is the animal that's been set loose. Yeah. So, Either way, the, those are all of the theories that I was able to find. All these little things that I didn't like pick up on when I first watched it or when I watched it again, um, which were super interesting. I don't know if you saw any others. I, I have a couple of my my own. Okay. Um, so my theory is about um, Red's journey. He goes from one dream into another dream. Okay. So he is living this life with Mandy, this 
secluded, beautiful, peaceful life, and they are living some sort of dream. He has some sort of tortured past that he's managed to escape, yeah. and he is living um, a much better life with her. They're isolated. They're doing their own thing. It's great. And then when she's taken away from him... That dream is shattered because yeah. she is the center of his world. Yeah. Right? That's she true. she's everything. And when she's taken away from her, that's when that whole bathroom scene happens. Yeah. And that bathroom scene, that is the most realistically shot scene in the entire movie. It's very there's no like weird special effects going on. You're right. There's like, nothing. It's just the, the camera doesn't e- barely even moves. No. It's just him. It's the natural colors of the room and he He's back into this terrible reality and can't fucking handle it. Yeah. Also, with the cult, they're living their own dream. Yeah. So when Mandy is first captured by the cult, they put the LSD in her eye. And, and they, they sting her with that scorpion wasp thing or whatever yeah, that is. Yeah, whatever the fuck that thing's supposed to be. The cherry yeah. on top. Yeah. The, they sting her with that, and she starts tripping balls while... Yeah. Jeremiah is doing his weird full frontal nudity thing. His pitch. Yeah. He's, he's basically doing his elevator pitch. He is doing his pitch. Yeah. Um, and she's seeing the world the way the cult sees it. Cause they're constantly fucked Fucked, up for sure. So she is living their dream. Yeah. She is, uh, they're trying to assimilate her into that dream. Yeah. Red ends up, living a different kind of dream after Mandy is taken away. Yeah. She, he ends up in uh well, I would call it a nightmare. Yeah. Um, he's broken once Mandy's, uh, burned alive, but as soon as he, uh, takes those crazy drugs in the ta- biker hideout. Yeah. Then yeah. he is in some kind of weird dream inspired by, I guess, Mandy's fantasy novels Yeah, and all the crazy shit that's going on around him. Yeah. Cause everything after that point, like all the psychedelic landscapes of like alien. Yeah. Um, Pretty much everything after that is less believable than everything before it. Basically. Yes. Right. Like even his like weird, even the weirdo bikers, you're like, okay, they're just fucking crazy. Right. But the rest of the movie seems pretty normal. Like the characters seem crazy, but the movie seems, the setting seems normal. But then after that, the setting and the characters are all insane. Yeah, that's true. Like there's no fucking strobe light in that temple in the quarry. That's true. Yeah, and it's just like, wah, 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 yeah. Wah. Anyways, there's not a rave going on down no. there. That is in his head. I don't think he actually crushed Jeremiah's skull. Yeah. You know, that's an enormous amount of power to crush a human head in your hands. Yeah. Like I, that. He doesn't even crush it like eyes first, which would be easier. He crushes it like sideways, like a vice. Yeah. He took the hard way. <laughs> he took the road less traveled. He I certainly did. Yeah. But that's my theory. It's you have these groups of people living these different dreams. And then that bathroom scene is truly uh, red just being pulled out. So do you think that's like the only real scene in the movie? Like, Mm. is the rest of it just like a fever dream before and after? And that's like the only real spawn. I wonder where that particular scene falls, like, uh, like chronologically in the movie, if it's exactly in the middle or not. Yeah, I would be interested to know that. Yeah. I don't know, because it is, it is truly a transitioning point. For sure, yeah. Like, I need some Cheddar Goblin okay. stat. Okay, so getting into the, like, weird fun shit about this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, first thing, did you know you can buy merch for the Mandy are movie? You, are you about to tell me I can buy some Cheddar Goblin? 
Yes. Oh my god. Okay, but Fuck be, off. but before the cheddar gobble. Okay, so you can buy Mandy merch. You can buy the tiger shirt. You can buy the forty four no shirt. Way. Yes. You can buy a package called the full rage tiger shirt package <laughs> where you have the tiger shirt, the underwear, the socks. Oh yeah, the tiny whiteies. And the bottle of vodka. <laughs> you can buy everything and it is seventy five dollars. That's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, a bottle of vodka alone's like thirty. I mean, I don't. I didn't honestly. I don't know like what kind of like what quality or like what caliber. Who of cares? It is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Holy you just fuck. have to go through some trauma and then you can drink it. It's no problem. So you can buy that. You can also buy Cheddar Goblin. You can buy like a whole bunch of like weirdo shit. Uh, and then of course you can buy like the posters and the yeah. movie and stuff. But like you can actually buy like these weird packages with that stuff. So it's super crazy. And beyond that, what's even more crazy is the cheddar goblin. So I was reading about, so the cheddar goblin, first of all, has its own Twitter page. Great. There is a cheddar goblin Twitter page that like just hypes up the movies, hypes up the movie and other shit. But I was reading about Panos and he was talking about how uh, the Cheddar Goblin became this like huge thing, even though it was like tiny little aspect of the movie became this huge thing. So there's a quote from him where he says, fresh from witnessing the harrowing act of violence, Cage's traumatized Red Miller stumbles home forever changed. And the first thing he's greeted with is a bizarre day glow mac and cheese commercial. And he says, it's like the universe is slapping him in the face with its lunacy. Like it's supposed to be this like dramatic and like stark variants from like what he just experienced this like super weird like random movie and what i didn't realize when i watched it i thought it was just a weird 80s commercial yeah they made the commercial for the movie they literally made it so and beyond just making it apparently it's something that like cosmatos and like the producers discussed like at length like for example they were like you know how does the cheddar goblin work like does it manifest macaroni in the goblin like are there are two different organs me? that create the mac people and one that sat in a room yes. and figured this out yes jesus and they're Christ. like okay does does one organ make the macaroni one makes the cheese or do you feed the goblin macaroni and then it vomits up the macaroni covered in cheese sauce like how does it work so they actually spent like a decent amount of time trying to figure this out and beyond that they actually like because they fell in love with the idea, but they apparently they said like we had so little time and all the department heads were stretched so thin that they had to outsource it. So they actually outsourced the production of this movie or of this commercial. They gave this guy named Casper Kelly who made the uh, adult swim, like the viral hit, like too many cooks that weird video. Okay. Anyway, so they gave him a thousand bucks and they were like, please make like a cheddar goblin movie or like commercial for us to use in this fucking movie. And he literally like worked from a lookbook provided by Cosmetos and Waller, which had images from a 1985 horror comedy called the Ghoulies. And okay. that's what it looks like. So he worked off of like this, this picture here, basically to create the cheddar goblin. <laughs> oh and then you can see God. on the right, like there's pictures of him, like dumping macaroni on these kids. Like there's back of this back of the house shots <laughs> of him, like throwing macaroni on children to make the fucking cheddar goblin video. And this one kid looks like he's having the time of his life. Well, then what's Is that a big tube in the back of the cheddar yes, goblins? Yes, to spray the macaroni. <laughs> and what's crazy is apparently they made a macaroni goblin and it literally lives at Panos's house. Like he has the cheddar goblin, the actual <sighs> cheddar goblin oh at his house. God. And it's just nuts. So the 
for whatever reason, the Cheddar Goblin has gone like beyond the movie. <laughs> I'm going to say it. The Cheddar Goblin is top three character. One of the top three characters in the movie. Actually, yeah, that's very true. No, that's definitely true. And what was super fucking funny about it was like, if you look up like the making of this commercial, there's like so many pictures. There's so many pictures wow. of just this guy holding this cheddar goblin or this goblin suit and just like vomiting on children. <laughs> okay, so can you recommend this? I would recommend it. I think I would recommend it uh, only if I could watch it with them because I feel like most people, if they try to watch this by themselves and like expect having a good time, like I don't know if they're going to have a good time, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Like, I think they're I, just going to be like confused and like wonder why I recommended this movie. Um, I guess I do have to go with the snobby internet people and say, you know, if you're looking for your run-of-the-mill kind of horror movie then or a run-of-the-mill action movie run-of-the-mill you have to movie. wait an hour for it to happen right yeah, like, i mean it does happen eventually yeah. but uh yeah you're gonna have to sit through um yeah like a i don't know about half a yes album before it yeah. happens yeah exactly um you're gonna have to sit through the prog rock first but i i mean this is probably this is one of my favorite movies of the last like few years i yeah. fucking love it yeah like, the first good. time i was confused the second time i got it and then the third time i was just, just enjoyed it like like we watched it with uh with stan we watched it with stan i think we yes. watched it with our friend and it was uh it was, it's the kind he, of movie that's fun to watch people react, react to, to it. yes i agree because the entire first half of the movie was just like what's happening was he doing that i'm bored and then eventually the movie gets insane, but by then it's too late. People have already tuned out. Yeah. Or at least he had, but uh, that's his yeah. own fault. Yeah, he played himself. You make your own good time, Stan. Okay, well, that wraps everything up. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can find us online at drunkduckcinemaclub.com. You can find recipes for the cocktail. You could find link to the podcast there. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by the same name. Drunk Duck Cinema Club. Yeah. 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 That was a bad quack. I'm that was a that was a person quack. <laughs> that was a person doing a duck quack. That's bad. I'm sorry. Yeah.